Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Mallcast. Good evening. Good evening. Leinster kryptonite. Could he be Ireland's kryptonite? Man Mountain, Will Skelton, is he the man to... Uh, be our kryptonite. Be our kryptonite, but also be a banana skin, a speed bump. Any number of metaphors, this big bad man is going to stop Ireland or upset the apple cart somehow. Yeah, I, 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 I am worried about this one. I see it as an apple skin for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I, was, I can't get the 2010 game against Scotland out of my head. When Dan Parks kicked a very late penalty to win it for uh, to win it for the Sweaties, I remember thinking like, still to this this is 12, 12 and a half years on, I I actually am still going like, how did we lose that match? We were at that stage we had won the Grand Slam the previous year, were headed for what we assumed was going to be a soft landing triple crown, uh, and we got turned over on the last day of the season. I was like, it was it, it was like a game too much, a game too many or something like that. Uh, we underperformed on the day whilst we're playing occasionally quite good rugby. Uh, I feel that nobody at that stage fancied the Scots, and I feel so similar. Nobody fancies uh, the Aussies in particular, uh, having lost to Italy. But Australia can be a really dangerous team. Some of their performances in the, in the rugby championship this year, Tri-Nations plus one, were really impressive. I think Dave Rennie's a really good coach. And then Dave Skelton, who has so often proved to be um, Leinster's uh, coconut grind. And uh, Australia have had the ultimate yo-yo of the season that they've won impressive. They didn't beat New Zealand, but they beat everybody else and then they lost to everybody else. Mm. I did a little graph with emojis on our WhatsApp group. And I actually missed the Scotland game out, but it basically went uh, winning handsomely away at Argentina, losing heavily at Argentina, winning handsomely at home against South Africa, losing heavily at home in South Africa, losing narrowly with that whole last minute time wasting oh, yeah. Bertrand Foley skank against New Zealand, heavily beaten by New Zealand. Scotland game uh, won, I guess, not made massively impressively, but. Um, Narrowly beaten by a very good France team, so we'll we'll give that the up emoji, and then yeah. beaten with a lot of changes by Italy for the first time, so that's the down emoji. So uh, using this complicated system, they're due an up emoji on Saturday night. Hopefully it's the same sort of up emoji that they earned against New France. Zealand when losing and France when New losing. Zealand. yeah. But I think, yeah, I think potentially a perilous game for us. We've got quite used to beating the Australians. Um... Like we would see, uh, I'm sorry, I'm being presumptuous. I see Ireland as being a better rugby nation for the last decade. I would say than Australia, um, better rugby nation, <laughs> a stronger rugby nation, like stronger overall at international level and in terms of how 
the game is run and the success of the provincial teams. I see Ireland definitely, definitely ahead of Australia. Not even like you, not even really. It would be a huge stretch to argue that Australia now in in the interim Australia reached the World Cup final. We haven't, but to my mind, that was um, <laughs> in the words of Philip Brown, just a blip. Well, I think it's reflective of the competitiveness of the Australian sportsmen. I mean, like when when the Aussies were going well in the noughties, um, they were at that stage the I'd have to go back to the early noughties, but they were at that stage the defending World Cup uh, champions, and they went on to reach another final in two thousand and three at home. But then there was Leighton Hewitt, there was the Baggy Greens, um, and there was every manner of swimmer. But to be honest, like just every Aussie sportsman, sports person was super competitive and didn't think they were licked until it was over. And uh, like I think to a, to a certain extent, they still have that attitude, but uh, they're not the force of... 25 years ago as as just a general sporting nation and, and maybe it was just a complete aberration like torpedo was there as well mm. like they, they they did just seem to have an incredible sweep of of ability and stars because it wasn't just like it was pat rafter in the tennis as well as, yeah as Leighton yeah Hewitt. Um, Kathy freeman Kathy yeah freeman yeah like oh they were awesome um but i think they're they're very unfussy side very good defenders good tacklers Good tacklers rather than good defenders. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's something to it, but they're, they're good tacklers and Skelton. Yeah, you saw Skelton. Uh, which game did you see me in? It was the French game? France. And uh, we might have talked about this last week, but just the uh, scale of them. Uh, a drawing of a person at 1.2 is to 1. <laughs> you know, he is, no, 0.8 is to 1. Slightly bigger than, than real life. Uh, I've got that wrong. Anyway... <laughs> You're saying is you're saying is you're saying yeah. is he's big. What I'm saying is the guy is huge. I was talking to somebody recently uh, the other day about being in the post-match um, festival of rugby after Ireland's last warm-up game against England in 2011. The game where David Wallace got injured on the sideline by a man or two a laggy tackle, and the the room below. In, in Aviva where they they, hire, they do those functions has a really low ceiling just regularly low like domestic low but it's a big room so it feels lower and Simon Shaw walked in and you're going Jesus Christ he makes even all the other rugby players look small you know huge head massive hands really obviously really tall just a big unit you know that's, that's what Skelton is like he even makes the other rugby players look small so off the top of my head, uh, the last time that Ireland were beaten at home by Australia was Joe Schmidt's first match as international coach, just before the narrow, uh, heartbreaking defeat to New Zealand in 2013. 2013. Yeah, nine years ago now. And in the interim, we did have a draw with them, Drico scoring under no, the post. No, that was beforehand. Was that beforehand? Yeah, Jesus. it was Declan so how, how many times have we played them since then? We played a three-series uh, test yeah. in summer of 2018. But nothing in between. No, we played them in an autumn as well. We played them in an autumn where we raced out to a good early lead. And then there was an intercept off. I think my memory is it was an intercept off. But we ended up winning potentially 23-20 or something like that. Um, 
we haven't played them that often. We used to play them with much more frequency, in my memory of it. We haven't, I wouldn't say we've played them in an autumn international since 2016, November 2016. Did, didn't, um, we played them in a match where Joey went in full back. I think that was the same game. For his first cap. Yeah, so that would have been 2016 uh, because we played, uh, do you remember Joey? His first cap was in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so I think so, yeah, it, I think that was that the series. third game of that okay. of that uh, November. Yeah, I, I'm just going on. Th- so we beat them 26-23 in November 14. We beat them 27-24 in November 16. That's sorry, that's, that's what the I remember, Joey yeah. match when he played a fullback. We lost to them nine points to 18 in Brizzy. Then beat them 26-21 in Melbourne. Beat them 2016 in Sydney. That was a great game. And that was the last time we played them, I think. Yeah, the one where Stockdale got that. Uh, uh, I that was a really amazing Saturday morning game. Really enjoyed those games. That was yeah. a good test series for us. Well, digging through that history, um, they've, they've very little recent success over us at all. They won one test match at home, then we beat them in a test series over there. And yeah. then they haven't won over in Dublin since uh, for nine years. Yeah. And... Just in line with what you said about Ireland being maybe a better rugby nation, uh, they were. I always feel like they were the the team that we broke the duck against the Southern Hemisphere in the professional era in that rainy match where we kicked all the goals in fifteen nine or something like that in the old Lansdowne Road, um, and perhaps like it was the case of Ireland sort of picking off the weakest of the three of the big Southern Hemisphere nations. And it still feels like maybe that's the case. They're the they're the weakest of the three. Of the big three. I would yeah. absolutely agree with you, yeah. I remember, and it's a great point, like, it used to be a huge scalp. When Rogers, uh cheeky try in 2004 against the box, when, when we got that win, I remember two things from that. Like, uh, it was a very cheeky try, borderline, uh, in terms of, it was, it was similar to, like, oh, can I take a, can I go and address my, my teammates, the Farrell thing from last year, Six Nations. Um, and then the second part was beforehand, Jake White <laughs> fucking super foolishly said only two players in the Irish team would get in the combined Springboks Ireland team. Um, and and it was great to get a win after a very foolish... Uh, this was pre-Twitter, of course. This was through mainstream media. He decided to voice this. Um, but uh, yeah, and it was just a huge scalp at the time. And... and not that it's not like beating the world champion South Africans is still a big scalp, but at that stage, it was a it was a big turning point for Ireland. We had suffered so many losses um, to the Southern Hemisphere teams. Now I know that South Africa hadn't been back in the mix. It had only been I think eleven years that they were back in the mix at that stage. They come back into international competition in nineteen ninety three. Yeah, yeah, but they were still you know they were still uh, the one of the big three. Um, but now it's it's a it's a different situation, but that doesn't mean that in, in it's a foregone conclusion. So, but let me continue. Um, Sorry, this, yeah, this, no, no. I mean, go, sort of return, I guess, to the my my grand sweeping arc of history. If you think about where we were when uh, Ireland first beat Australia in that professional era, um, and the kind of the status that this team has now, where we're sort of thinking. Australia could be a banana skin, an apple peel. <laughs> um, and we're almost like, the, some commentators have said, 
we actually need to play Crowley and see what mm. you know if if we if we have finally stumbled on the guy who gives us a bit more uh, security as our second choice ten. Uh, is it time to give him a start? And the idea that we would go into a game uh, against the Southern Hemisphere nation, looking to essentially go through a season where you only lose like one test in New Zealand and narrowly in in France, and you go, well, maybe we should give this youngster a start. Like this, the the level that Irish rugby has grown in that twenty year period is absolutely remarkable. Yeah, it's a good like it is a good overall viewpoint you've given there. With regards to honing in on, on this match and, and what you've mentioned there about Clark, like I can see the argument for it. Uh, but to return to my now weekly commendation of uh, Fozzie's, well, like the job is to win today, win tomorrow. Who's going to help you have a better chance of, of winning today? Uh, it's still sexy, but... I, like, I can't see the argument for it. I think it's absolute madness to volunteer a guy who's played half an hour of test rugby and started 16 matches for Munster <laughs> starting against Australia like no not, yeah well not, I, not, I, not even close and I was thinking about it earlier on so I'll, I'll go back to the the sort of the, the Ireland Australia arc and it's kind of having the conversation at work that you know you often feel like you don't get anything done in a day and it's only when you look back at where we you know where you're at last year and you go well Somebody must have done something somewhere along the line because we're ahead of where we were last year. And certainly with Ireland and Australia, over the course of 20 years, even longer, like 1999, I went to that World Cup match against the uh, eventual world champions of that tournament and we couldn't get a finger on them. Like even we even lost the fight. They, they Todai Kefu just pummeled oh, ahead of yeah. Trevor Bennon because they held Trevor Bennon's arms back. And he might have got a one match ban for it. Like it was, and they were so much better than us without even getting out of third gear. And like they didn't beat us by as much as New Zealand had beaten us by around the same time. But the All Blacks were kind of an entertainment value. Like there was like, we were the Washington Generals, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> everyone knew we were the Washington Generals. You're, you're, like you're going along. Whereas against Australia, um, it was a Sunday. It was there was there was quite a lot of Aussies over because you know London, um, but just a lot of guys traveling, a lot of guys kind of backpacking, building the World Cup into their tour, and they knew they were good. Um, and in the intervening time, you know, they I really feel they got their Super Rugby expansion wrong. Uh, I don't know exactly what their TV strategy was, but I think they just spread themselves too thin. Um and just I'll I'll have to go and find out exactly what what went wrong with uh, Australian rugby. Like I, they seem to have struggled in schools. Um, they seemed kind of like us to have struggled against domestically very strong games in in league and in Aussie rules. Um, and. They've both probably gone from kind of strong to stronger, whereas the Aussie rugby team just isn't doesn't seem to hold the same place, and their domestic teams aren't as strong as 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 they were at different periods over the twenty five. But even even from a standard, they're just not as strong. And yet, when you watch them play a lot of these games, when they have the 
upward pointing emoji beside them, you see they have so many like ferociously talented players, just incredibly skillful, particularly in the backs, I think. Mm. Uh, pr- like skillful, fast, just super athletic, powerful. Koro uh, Abede. Oh, sort yeah. Karevi. I know it's not this one, but... But Koro Abede in particular and, and Karevi, they both kind of like transformed from these guys you're like going, oh, they're they're big and they, oh, you kind of notice that they keep on getting picked and they, they've turned into these kind of star players to them now. Uh, you know, in the in the in the absence of uh, Falao, in the absence of Gitto, in the absence of um, you know, a big big players at, at nine and ten, I think, and even even sorry, even uh, Nick White, is his name? Yeah, Nick. Even Nick White has sort of becomes something of a, a bit big of a totem for them. Yeah, yeah whereas like you know, he certainly was the man behind Genia for a, an awful long time. It felt like. Yeah, again, uh, like rugby league isn't all that different from rugby union, and I I think <laughs> sort of the it's very arbitrary split between it's like oh the two codes you crossed over you can never go back, but you go, you know that like when somebody goes and fields and you go oh that was the guy, you learned <laughs> that in the guy, you know that transferable skills, whereas like their transferable skills are pretty much identical. Um, to the extent that like somebody could be signed from rugby league having never played rugby union and he'd be a brilliant rugby union player because he's got pretty much everything that you need. And again, as you say, certainly in the backs. Now, maybe in the forwards, not as much. And then just that experience of having a competitive professional sportsman in your own country that like you have an indication of, of what needs to get done. And that aren't footballers because I sort of feel that footballers live on a on a different plane. That like the money is just so enormous. If you look at the Premiership, like the the standard of play is so international. But if you have kind of like domestic guys who you might see in the shops um, or that you knew from school or something like that, and you're a professional sportsman, I just feel without any shred of evidence to this that you have an idea of what's about particularly when you're talking about Corabetti, Karevi, Nick White guys who've been around for a while you sort of go no no I just get better as a professional sportsman because that's what happens yeah you know I just I just keep applying myself at a certain level I will get better through application and experience and my ability to handle it yeah you get better at your job just get better at your job and then like your athletic prowess declines and you retire but like you're still, you still know what you're doing. Mm. Um, so look, I, I, I think it'd be a real challenge for him. I think on the on the Jack Crowley piece, I have thought about this with numerous Irish players down through the years that I like all the players and my real frustration, bone of contention, irascibility comes from the media stroke uh, mass coverage that they get, like the unquestioning sort of coverage where people just... So like with Joey Cart, like with, with Paul O'Connell, you'd hear all this sort of stuff about, you know, Superman, Superman wearing Paul, Paul O'Connell pajamas. And you go like, well, obviously I really like Paul O'Connell. And the more he played, like the older he got, the more and more I liked him. And then when he retired, you just have to acknowledge like how admirable an individual he was. But you'd also look at him and go, he's got shocking hands <laughs> and he makes 60 centimetres of carry. And you go, like, he's not all that bloody magical. Like, there's better second rows out there than him. Um, now, he, he actually played his best rugby. And the, the bit that used to stick in my craw was just, like, the absolutely unquestioning adulation. So 
it's very difficult to say that without people getting in a snot and going, no, do you not like Paulie? Because invariably they'd be from Munster that will take that sort of offence. And it's kind of like that with Joey, that you just go, I like Joey. Joey's absolutely a pleasure to watch. But this unquestioning coverage about him, like he, he did really well. And you go, no, he didn't. Stop treating him like, you know, he's the youngest of six and he did really well. Didn't he do well, boys and girls? Give Joey a clap. No criticizing now. Give him a clap, special Joey. Like, that's nonsense, you know? And, like, and still with Crowley, like, it's not that, like, Crowley is the savior. He might end up being the savior, but he's not the savior at the moment, but he is competition. Yeah, well, and you're, was, you're a big Crowley fan. Like, you've been, you've been saying for two, more than two years, you're going, this is like this Crowley lad is is going to be amazing. You know, since that since the the twenty twenty the junior Six Nations that got that got called at a short uh, notice, like due to COVID, you were saying that like, Crowley is great. Like it's going to be between Crowley and Harry Byrne for a decade. Yeah, that that's exactly it. But like I was saying the same about Harry. Like it's it, there's going to be a quarterback controversy here. Like Harry had two years, and in his second year, in his first year he was good. In his second year, you go, this guy is an international in the making, and. Crowley comes along and you go, quarterback controversy. Mm-hmm. Like, this, there's going to be a clash of styles here. Like, it's going to be Joe Montana and Steve Young. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and it hasn't happened for Harry. And see, that's the thing, like, about the sort of the, the potential and the actualization. But, like, there's a competition there. And hopefully now Crowley can provide competition for Joey. Because, like, Joey's on a very, very short time period... But Joey's last few minutes against the All Blacks were like his best rugby's ever played for Ireland. In in the third test, um, yes, he was. He super. took the ball to the line. Took the ball committed to the line. People ran straight. Stayed stayed square, and you didn't know what he was going to do. You didn't know if he was going to dummy and run. You didn't know if he was just going to jink and run. You didn't know if he was going to pass. You didn't know if he was going to kick. And you're going play like this all the time, and you can have the ten. We bring Johnny on for the speeches or something like that. Like this is absolutely class. But, like, it's such a short amount of time. And, like, they were all playing super conflict. Like, Rob Herring scoring a try. Oh, through five people. Going through three All Blacks. You're yeah. going, my God, like, what movies have they been watching the night before? Like, um, in religion. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, Tigburn putting on the uh, Paul O'Connell, no, Superman wearing Paul O'Connell <laughs> uh, pajamas, pajamas. <laughs> Paul O'Connell wearing Tigburn pajamas, yeah. So... It's so I'm, I'm I'm delighted to see Crowley on the bench. Like I, I really think it provides the opportunity for him to challenge Carberry, um, and I think he has the ability to do it. But like I don't want to anoint a guy who's only played thirty five minutes as yeah. the savior. You know, like I think you got to be realistic about this. There's things. also the other pragmatic thing about, uh, like a really pragmatic in my point of view is like there's I think there's. There's 11 Leinster lads in the starting lineup for Saturday's match. You, you, if you put in, you put in a guy who's played at probably most 25 minutes with any of them. Um, if you if you put Crowley, for example, in at 10, you're going, that's that's, it's a huge change. You know, it's a huge change. It's a loss of familiarity as well in in a, in a key position, not just a unit position, but also like a very important, the most important decision-making position. Um, so to me, to me it's like, not when I say I see the argument, I, I do see the argument, but I don't agree with it. Now, I think if Sexton were injured, 
I picked Crowley to start rather than bring in Ross Byrne to be your sacrificial lamb. Um, and so what, what struck me from the Fiji match about Crowley was that he looked to be at international level in terms of his like athleticism and physical prowess. And again, like to, to give the comparison with Ross, I would have said this time last year, maybe a bit earlier in last year's season, that Ross Byrne was the most interesting player in Ireland because you didn't know how it was going to work out for him. You didn't know if he was going to be like starting the Heineken Cup final and going on tour with Ireland or if he's going to end up behind his little brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it sort of ended up somewhere in between. Like he, Harry, he just wasn't fit enough for to overtake Ross, even when he got picked ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ross didn't go. But then again, like Ross didn't have a bad season. He just, his limitations were exposed. I kind of think the most interesting player in Ireland this season is Ben Healy because you don't know, is he going to become a kind of a Johnny Sexton type figure? Like he's, his, his kicking is, he's big, he's able to kick, he knows how to play out half. Is he going to play well enough to hide the deficiencies that he has? Or is he going to become a tall ginger Ross Byrne where he just doesn't have the athleticism to play at the the sharp end of the Heineken Cup or at international level? Whereas Harry, sorry, as whereas Jack Crowley does have the physical ability to play international rugby. Like he just, and, and that's huge. Like the fact that you have it, because Ross doesn't have it, you know? And for as good an out half as Ross is, he's just physically not able to to do it at that level. Now that said, Harry, when he came on, there was a bigger difference in the organization that Harry gives when he came on against Argentina last year. So Joey played whatever, 50, 55 minutes, went to fullback, and Harry came on, and all of a sudden, the team had a shape about it that had just been lacking for Joey's time at out half. Crowley doesn't, maybe Joey's got slightly better at it. Crowley didn't make that much of a different shape-wise. His gifts are far more natural, like his ability to jink, Rugby his ability playing. to, yeah. yeah, like ball Rather playing. than being an out-half, His ability to get into space, his ability to make space for others, rather than that sort of generalship. Um, and... It's crying change to Harry Burnley. Like, it would be great to have the two of those guys providing competition for each other. Oh, yeah. And competition's great. Like, it's great for Crowley and Carberry to have each other to provide that competition. Uh, other fallout results, whatever, from the Fiji match. Balakun has uh, lost his place in the side. Jimmy O'Brien comes in on the wing. Keenan back at fullback. Bundy on the bench as the 23. Um, I said to you... Prior to this, we were discussing it. I said, "Feels like it feels like Mac Hansen, despite making errors, has been rewarded for kind of going and looking for the game against Fiji, whereas Balakun, uh, not saying that he wasn't looking for it, but he couldn't find the game against Fiji. Uh, he scored a try, but he, all he had to do was catch the ball and walk over the line. And for the rest of the time, he didn't manage to get his hands on the ball nearly enough. Whereas Mac Hansen mixed the good with the bad, knocked it on, kicked it dead, but." kept on coming inside and trying to make the play. And so he's kept his place against the nation of his birth. I think you've absolutely nailed that. That's exactly how I see it. It's not any sort of character judgment on on Robert Braddock. The game sort of didn't didn't go his way. And as you say, couldn't really, didn't really do enough in the game. And and he just loses out and... It's, it's sort of tough on him. I thought I thought he'd be retained, but 
you know, it's, uh, you know, I can see why he's not. I think you have to read the room if you're Robert Balakun and you see the sort of wingers that Andy Farrell likes. He loves Andy Conway. He loves, loves Keith Earls, James Lowe, Matt Hansen. Like, you don't have to be super quick, but you have to be involved a lot. And you have to have a few strings to your... Like, you know, if you've got a few strings to your bow, uh, all the better. But you gotta got to get on. You can't, can't wait for it. Got to get involved. So, if you don't do that for him, uh, you're lost. And Bundy's back. One more thing as well. I was going to say... He can't pick uh, Jimmy O'Brien at fullback because he's got Keane, so he needs a left-footed kicker. Like, the left-footed kicker thing is is no... Uh, it's no joke, as, as Jake White said before, the first position on his team is the tight head, second position on his team is the left-footed kicker. Um, so that's another good reason why why uh, Jimmy O'Brien gets in. Maybe they'll let him take the penalties on the right-hand side of the pitch to touch. Don't count on it. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. The last... The last Left-footed Irish player who's allowed to do that was Robert Carney, and he was barely ever allowed to do it. Joe McCarthy gets called up to the bench. Uh, do you see any significance of that? He's essentially ahead of uh, Treads yeah. and Ian Henderson. Treadwell came off. Uh, Treadwell came off in the last game, and I thought, "Oh, that's strange." I didn't expect him to come off. He didn't. It didn't look like he was injured. He jogged off. He he seemed in. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't limping. And he wasn't assisted off by anybody. So I thought, like, "Oh wow!" Like. They're taking Treadwell off early. That means they're going to save him for the next match. They'll probably pull Henderson in uh, to start. And Tygburn has done a lot of minutes. But Tygburn looked really tired at the end of the Fiji game. Really tired. So I thought Treadwell had... I thought there might have been... Um, Farrell might have gone. Like Treadwell had that good five games uh, on New Zealand tour. Played in every game. And then had like showed up well against Fiji. So I was thinking, Jesus, is he, is he pushing Treadwell to like make the jump up from the three plus one into making it a four strong, uh, you know, second row cadre. But it seems like Treadwell was actually probably injured. I expected Henderson to be back at the bench. From my understanding of it, he trained with the team prior to the Fiji game. So I was fully expecting him to be back involved. Uh, surprised not to see him. So yeah, the second row surprised me. But in this case, I think it's much more likely to be injury linked rather than form or ideas linked. Bundy's back at 23, which sort of, Hints that there's no sort of extra punishment for getting banned in the middle of the international season. He's straight back in the squad. Yeah, I, I think. I don't know if Treader was injured or not. Like I guess with Joe McCarthy, I think it's an example of again, like like the wingers. Farrell likes guys who get involved. Like uh, John McCarthy looks, gets on pops, makes tackles, um, you know, goes for steals, gets gets penalised. But he's he's a busy second row, um, and he's 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 a player that he likes. And there's no doubt, uh, Faz likes Bundy, um, likes his aggression, likes his physicality, likes his attitude. Um, he's definitely going to go from, and he's the sort of. He's he's the kind of player that uh, Farrell picks where he goes, ah, the upside is better than the fact that we've no cover at second centre whatsoever. Well, we have Jimmy, but he's already starting. <laughs> so <laughs> like if, if Jimmy goes in a second centre, we've no one to play in the wing. Yeah. Either Bundy or McCluskey. Um, is that... Yeah, that's that's maybe... I, I, I don't know, Crowley? I don't know. Like he... So, like, it's... Like, if Ringrose goes off, 
that's you know what do you do who knows who knows we'll, we'll cross that apple yeah. skin when we come to it yeah yeah i think for the farrell likes to pick uh his next best center on the bench because we've got you know we've got a lot of good centers in the corner but we've got enough in that with with uh ringos henshaw aki as the big three plus mccloskey has come through uh, as he was always going to once he got the chance it's like that's your next best back at the moment. Now it becomes a more complicated situation, say when Andy Conway is fit, uh, James Lowe is fit, because then you have another very viable next best back in the country. But at the moment, it's like he's there going, "Well, I can pick these guys and they'll fill a positional situation for me if I get an injury. But if I want to bring on a player, who's the player I want to bring on? Would I rather bring on someone who's got a bit of versatility, or would I rather bring on?" Like this monster leader and guy who's a renowned world class, like literally world class. If you're if you're Bundyaki, once you play, you know, test rugby as a starter for the Lions, you're you're basically the best of almost all of the Northern Hemisphere. So you're in the top three or four players in your position in the world, which makes you, in my opinion, world class. Like Lancaster saying is three, sometimes you stretch it out to four. So that's why I think he's there. Huge personality. You know, outstanding player. He's <laughs> like the seven weeks off has saved him contact. Like, there's no doubt that he'll be training really hard, and he will be absolutely desperate to get involved. It's a very good point because the the, the sort of the outlook that I would have described as the Joe Schmidt mentality of "I'll have all my bases covered" is which I like, which I like uh, as well. Like you know, is is a risk averse, and we've talked about that before. But if you just go, nah, nah, I want something to change up the game. Like, you know, unless he's absolutely, like, unless his arm is falling off, stay on. And then rugby isn't like that anymore because it's so physical that invariably guys pick up head knocks and come off. But um, that, what if I want to change the match? What if there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with the guys and I just want to put on something completely different and have a load of pop? Who will I pick? Yeah. Bunny was going to get over the gain line against half the Australian team on his first carry when he comes on. Uh, you know, like he's he's a, he Bundy's a fucking super player as well, and he's a big time leader, and he's going to be really hungry. And uh, yeah, oh, no, like no, 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 like his hunger will be sated by his new partnership with Supermax. <laughs> <laughs> Supermax Hansen. <laughs> Someone needs to stop him. Referee blows for half time. For about 25 minutes on Sunday afternoon, I genuinely thought Scotland might beat New Zealand. I never thought it. Um, New Zealand were playing such aimless rugby and they were also getting penalised a lot by uh, leading man Frank Murphy. They took off Finley Christie, brought on TJ Paranera and uh, they got a lot better. And they also brought on um, Cody Taylor who had you know, a pretty rotten summer, I thought. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, and he came on and made an enormous difference. And Scotland were vanquished. And now, what New Zealand will turn up at the weekend to play England? Will it be the one where they pick all the players in the wrong position? Or will it be the one where they pick all the players when they, in the like good formation that they found with Geordie at 12, Richie Moonga at 10, and uh, Bodie playing 15. 15? I was... Scratching my head about the team that they picked against Scotland and the, the 
game plan that they employed and asking myself, like, are they, are they treating this like a drill? And you go back to the win, win today, win tomorrow, and you go, no, they're not in a position where they're good enough to treat it like a drill. But they played so much rugby in the wrong part of the pitch. Like this 14 nil up, um, and you're going, this is going to be like, you know, pretty much every New Zealand play Scotland match. And it's not like that. Frequently, it's more, it's a cloak. Excuse me, it's closer in Murrayfield. But um, that looked like it was just going to be a canter. And then they they got into the 22, <coughs> excuse me, once more in the first half, uh, very, very briefly, and then were easily repelled. And they had no kicking game whatsoever. Um, and like Bowden is such a good rugby player that it's it's feels wrong to, to sort of criticise him. But you see him play at half and you go, there's a better position for him. I used like, to hate it when New Zealand fans... No, geez, that's a very strong word. I used to think like, New Zealand fans are so spoiled. They're such dickheads when they go, why don't they play Mwanga at 10? But Bodhi's not a good 10. I was going, fucking Barrett's the best rugby player in the world. He's certainly the best back in the world. Uh, and they were right and I was wrong. Yeah, because he, like, he's a wonderful rugby player. But... I think they're better with Moanga at 10. And you, you went through the backline. You went through the permutations of it's kind of like, what do we have to do? Like, how do you, which, which bits, like, where do you start? Like, wh- which bits of this puzzle? You have all the pieces, but they'll only fit together in a certain way. And so you have to start somewhere. So it's like, we want to keep Bodhi, put him over there. So we want to put Moanga at 10. Where do you, so is, is that where you start? I think that's where you start. And then you go, do you want to play Bodie in one of the center positions? And you're going, well, want to play Rico at 13 because we've gone far enough down that road that it's worth it. I have to have Will Jordan, so that's a no-brainer. Um, and then you're like, what if we move, is it Scott? No, Jordy. Jordy into 12 and you go where he ah, used to play yeah ah, downfall this is so obvious checkmate downfall and battleship mm. you know and it is it seems obvious in hindsight I didn't figure it out but I remember seeing the under 20 world cup when Jordy Barrett played 12 and he was fucking amazing also giant Will Skelton-esque figure in that in that age grade and, and it's like now I can put literally all my best players on the pitch together and in positions that suit them. And now it seems like in their close to their best positions. You know, again, I was I was dismissive before of New Zealand fans saying you have to pick Will Jordan at 15. We haven't seen that for the All Blacks, but I'm now less confident in uh, my own view of a person who watches maybe, you know, six full-length Super Rugby games per season as opposed to how much I used to watch versus people who watch all of them and them going, yeah, we should pick. So there might be one more wrinkle left, um, but... But I think the backline that he found uh, during uh, during the rugby championship is his best. I, I think that he did use the the, uh, the Scottish game as a essentially his second choice backline, a trial backline, um, and it's it's it was like as you said, he went back to all the old choices which didn't work against Ireland during the uh, summer tour, and guess what? They didn't work again. So I think he'll definitely return to the back line that he fielded, as we just discussed. And the big question is, will Eddie Jones have a uh, special assignment 
uh, to tie up Artie Savea, who gets them pretty much all their, well, not all their, but about 80% of their pack go for it. Artie Savea, another monster game against the Scots. Uh, very unfortunate to the point of un- not understandable how he wasn't nominated as a, as a World Player of the Year <laughs> candidate. Um, but I do expect him to have another World Player of the Year standard game. But it's a case of how much, how much will the English spend on wrapping him up, and if that leaves, if there, if if that leaves a hole, and if there's other All Black forwards who can take advantage of of them double teaming the English double teaming Savia. It's a very compelling game. Always is. Always. I feel that the Kiwis have, uh, when it comes to games against England and Twickenham, I feel they have a, an inferiority complex. Not about the rugby, but about. No, sorry, this is a sort of blufferish big pictureism, but about colonial past. They've underperformed in Twickenham in a, a number of times in the last decade. And England have either beaten them or given them very, very close games. Um, so it's I think it's too close to call, personally. I, I agree with you about that. Um, I do think having the Union Jack in the corner of their flag just makes them tug their forelock a bit more than the standard of their rugby would suggest that mm. they should that's funny yeah I they don't play enough so that's probably one of the reasons why it's so highly anticipated also like England are generally good enough to to put it up to New Zealand standard wise if not attitude wise uh, and I just have a very specific memory of um, I'm going to guess the year was 93 maybe Jamie Joseph standing on Kieran Bracken's ankle Jamie Joseph standing on Kieran Bracken's ankle 93 yeah and the, uh, and England winning. England won that, and the neurovirus year as well, in particular yeah. Manu Tuolagi, probably the finest performance of his career, uh, running absolute riot in that second half. That was a Lancaster team, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Twenty six all in Manchester. Do you remember that one? No. Yeah, with um, a winger whose Cockrell, name I can't remember. Cockrell standing up to the hacker. Yeah, and a sail winger who chipped over the top and caught it. Wasn't but, uh, and obviously it wasn't Kuwaito. No, no, it was another one. And obviously the brilliant uh, World David Reese. David Reese, well done, God. The brilliant World Cup semi-final that we all remember, where England got it all right and, England, and and New Zealand got it all wrong. So yeah, hotly anticipated. Yeah, I'm back in the the All Blacks. I, I actually literally can't call it. If anything, like in now I'm thinking about it very hard, I would say England 51-49%, not like scores, but like the narrowest of margins. Have teams been picked? Yes. Have they? Yes. Oh, call them out there. Okay, so the big, for me, the big, uh, it's Guzzler is back. Who's Guzzler? How do you know who Guzzler is? He's winning his 100th cap. That's a big giveaway. He's enormous as well. Brody Retallick. Oh, Wow. Did know that was his nickname. No, nor did I. Uh, DeGroote, Taylor, Lomax, Retallick, Whitelock, Scott Barrett, Dalton Papali'i, Savea, Smith, Moonga, Caleb Clark, Jordy, Rico, Mark Talea, Bowden Barrett. Oh, Mark Talea. So, uh, Samasoni took a aho. Yeah. He's not in. He's on the bench. On the bench, but he's a brilliant player. Yeah. Uh, so What's their bench? Saying. Is their bench listed? Yeah. Uh, so, took aho, Bauer, Lalala. Frizzell, Hoskins Tutu, great name. Love Hoskins. <laughs> TJ Paranara, David Havili, and Anton Leonard Brown. Oh, I don't like Leonard Brown already, but there you go. Um, 
Scott Barrett at six is one that can go either way, but it, it gives them a lot of niggle. Isn't don't trick? know if he's gonna. Don't know if he's gonna make the eighty minutes. <laughs> Do not anticipate him making the eighty. Yeah. Um, but gives them, you know, strong line out, a lot of physicality, strong maul, strong maul. Um, not his best position. No. But I've I've been calling for that before. Like every yeah. so many so many teams are moving to having three second rows on the pitch. You know, making the big pitch, making making the pitch even smaller, in my opinion, uh, and and I think for England to play against England, I think it's a team that has. And if, see, if you're playing nerves. against England and Twickenham, you have to be as physical as possible because they're such big men. Like I, I watched New Zealand. Sorry, I watched England play Japan, which England won comfortably. Now I would. Uh, I was very impressed with Japan. Japan's rugby was exquisite in terms of just how well manufactured it was, the amount of opportunities they created themselves, the the level of their skill, their discipline and sort of holding straight lines. But they just too e- too easy for England to score and like too di- too hard for Japan to score uh, through a combination of refereeing and just like England being big and strong. But uh, the J- Japan were. Japan were at times excellent. Um, but you do have to have that level of physicality to stand up to Twickenham because they're a very difficult team to beat there. The English team then is Genge, Cowan Dickey, Sinclair in the front row. Second row of Atoje and Johnny Hill. Back row of Simmons at blindside, Tom Curry at open side, Billy Bonapola at number eight. The halfbacks are Jack from Portpleet and Marcus Smith. Centres Farrell and Tuolagi, and the back three is Johnny May on the left, Jack Noel on the right, Freddie Stewart at fullback. You know, it's, that's the strongest English team. You can have questions over Simmons versus Law. Laws isn't going to play because of his head injury, but it's a, I think it's the strongest team you can pick. And his bench, Jamie George, sorry, bench of finishers Jamie George, Michael Vunapola, Will Stewart, Dan Ribena, uh, Willis, Ben Youngs, Guy Porter, Henri Slade. Again, it's a there's quite a lot of pop in that bench. Uh, I'm even more looking forward to having seen the teams. Yeah, will it live up to the heights of the uh, South Africa versus France slobber knocker from last weekend? If it does, we're all in for a treat. Um, it was a it was it was a proper test match. Um, proper little test match. It also had Wayne Barnes. Thinking on his feet about how to stay alive and get out of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> he gave France a try that was in no way a try. Like, it was in no man's language a try. The guy was on the ground, tackled, and he just got shunted over the line. But he, like, it was a penalty to South Africa. And Barnsley then. Well, they just have to learn these things, you know. They just well, have to learn these things. Uh, without, or starting it for our fins. Without a. Uh, Losing his savoir faire in the slightest. Brought it back to the stage where uh, the French guy had the ball on the ground to kick, right? So like he's got the he's got the keys in the car, the engine is running, and Barnsley goes, I'm just gonna have to run this past the TMO. So he's got a tick. I've checked it. So then you can hear Barnsley on the TV and you can hear the TMO on the TV, but Barnsley can't hear the TMO. And he's like, I can't hear you. Is it a bad line? And he's like, uh, 
no, Ian, I can hear you. Can you hear me? <laughs> Are you going through a tunnel? <laughs> I, I can't hear you. I, I can't hear you. And he goes, oh, well, I tried. Knocks over the kick, goes back for the kickoff. He goes, it's back. And you're there going, bollocks. It was never gone, Barnsley. Uh, who knows? They have to improve this amateurish refereeing. Um, but, like the velodrome, it was, it was buzzing. It was absolutely buzzing. It had, um, like Peter Steftatoich got red carded and you're sort of going, like, that's a pretty clear red there. And yet he seems so shocked by it. Um, and Antoine Dupont got red carded and you're going, like, he's he's such a rugby guy and he's so honest about it. And two that of them are. Go, I would say the same about Dupont. And, and, and that's, yeah. that's the thing, and that's the thing, that you go, ooh, that's pretty harsh. And he's the captain of France and he's playing in Marseille, but... Like, he stayed in the ground. Uh, Aronsie went over the top of him, like, head over. Like, yeah. absolutely came down like a ton of bricks. And you're looking at it going... That's a red. Well, I didn't think it was a red. But then he got red, and you're going, fair enough. Um, and if you, like, basically, if you stay on the ground for a kick, you're running the risk of... Oh, minimum, you're going to get a yellow. Yeah. You're running the risk of, like, this could be red. Yeah, because yeah. the guys, like, again, the physicality, the guys jump up so high yeah. now, and particularly if you're DuPont and you're small, like, you're, they'll just go right over the top of you, and they'll come down hard. Yeah, and the contest, like, it's it's not the old days. The contest is now in the air, you know? Uh, I mean, that is like a rule of thumb. Like, when there's an up and under, it's not like two lads running and one lad standing still on the ground. Like, the contest is... 100 times out of 100 in the air. I think it was England against Japan. Like, one of the... The English guy, I think it was Freddie Stewart caught it. And the Japanese winger jumped up. Actually got his hands on the ball. But, at, like, Stewart had his hands on the ball slightly longer. And they both just bounced off each other. But, obviously, Stewart was much bigger from mm. the Japanese guy. And it was grand. It was just play on. Yeah. It was just like, this is this is a fair challenge. Like, yeah. you're, you're not trying to... One guy isn't trying to tackle the other guy in the air. Nobody's trying to take the other guy out. But this is now the way that the ball is competed for in a kick. Yeah. In a kick. JP explained it to me how the referees see it. And it goes back to the f- literally the fundamentals of, of rugby as a game of territory. And the idea being to carry the ball over the opposition line and score. So he explained it to me that the way it's refed in the premiership, it was like, you kick the ball up in the air, you're willingly giving the ball away. You know, so that's how the referees started there their reasoning position it's not like a contestable it's a 50 50 it's like you've kicked the ball away you had 100 percent certainty of possession you decided to kick it away so as uh, that was how they looked at it as part of protecting the catcher was that they were going to favor the team who hadn't kicked the ball in terms of now this is going back jesus this is going back seven or eight years i had this conversation but i think that's how they're looking but now pragmatically every contest for a contestable kick takes place in the air so if you're on the ground and you bang into someone like Ron O'Gara or, or Dupont, like, it's just going to be yellow or red. feels like the two jumping up into each other, uh, even though it's very dynamic and like high action, has less opportunity for someone spinning around and landing on their Correct. noggin because you're both... Centres of gravity are both higher. Yeah, and you're both kind of face on face or side on side or knees on knees or something like that. So you're more likely to fall backwards on your side, on your arse, on your shoulder at worst. Yeah then on your head so it's like get up there compete and it it seems like kind of everything's fair game once you're up there and then 
you know, we were talking about earlier on about like an out half who's played 35 minutes of test rugby. Is he is he ready for it? And, you know, Australian guys that have been around for, you know, 40, 50 test matches and how much better they get. Faf de Klerk was oh my gosh. excellent. Like, this, he, he took a kick... Uh, out from near the touchline, a conversion, and he absolutely one of the nailed it. most beautiful looking mm. place kicks, like mm. just aesthetically beautiful place kick. And he the was, big Rory McIlroy draw, oh, the big yeah. splendid splinter pull to right field. What and a he, beautiful kick! He was absolutely he was super. And South Africa, a very instructive team to watch because I think we're we're kind of dismissive of them. In, in Ireland that like oh they're very big they're very physical but they have the size but they their their rugby intelligence is is excellent and at, at 14 players you're kind of going like how are they going to react they're playing in Marseille they're playing against France they've got 14 players and they give nothing away but they keep playing and they don't put themselves under pressure. They play rugby in the right part of the pitch. They work so hard for each other. They're like just a really clever team. They're the, t- they're the team to beat. I think, though, correctly, in, in some ways, correctly, uh, not dismissive, but critical of them. Because I remember looking at them, their first game against New Zealand when they did a number of them, uh, the first game of the rugby championship, and going, these are still making it. They're having to sweat blood to score points. They're playing such a limited game plan. They have a lot of really good players in that team. That was when they're dead. Pollard, uh, Dialende, Am, Pimpy, Chesson Cole. Like you're going, Jesus, this is a fucking amazing backline. And yet they were content to get between the 22, the opposition's 22 and the opposition's 10. They were still putting up box casing on. All of these players who are really good players who can play the game pretty much the way any way they want, we're happy to play, like, pressure, like, uh, get up, uh, really loads of kick chase, loads of competing, you're on, Jesus, they could do so much better. And it's not just the way that sometimes people, in my opinion, used to criticise Ireland when they got a win, uh, whether it be under Kidney or Eddie O'Sullivan or Schmidt, it's like, oh, we'll have to play a more adventurous game to, w- to do well in the World Cup. And it really, I always felt that was like, a, I just want to see Ireland fucking throw the ball around more. You know, it's not actually about being able to win better. It's like, this is like quite an ugly brand of rugby. Uh, so, like, I, I felt that like they were purpose. I was really surprised that such good players and such experienced and successful players were willing to, like, literally just follow orders and go, this is how we're being told to play. Let's just spend all our energy in really fast kick chase, really hard competition. Um, so I think I think that's certainly that's how, why I would have been critical of them. They're a fucking hard team to watch when they play like that. It's an ugly, ugly brand of rugby. And now that it hasn't been as successful as it had been in the past, like they're 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 like a they're not a point five zero team, but they've played eleven, won six, lost five this season. Like it's not a fucking good winning record. They're hard to beat though. They are hard to beat, but not that hard. If five teams out of eleven have no, them. that's that's true. But they. They're they're a very good tournament team, and obviously Ireland aren't. But I, the the team that I'm reminded of the most when I watch South Africa is Ireland, um, and maybe not so much um, the Irish national team at the moment, but like the Ar- emerging Ireland team or the under twenty Ireland team in just that 
very well coached, very good habits, do a lot of things very well collectively. You look at them and you go, did they have, like, say Ireland played Wales in under-20s last year, the best player is Welsh, but Wales got beat by 50 points, yeah. you know? You watch Ireland against France away and you go, my God, like, the French man-on-man -man are, like, 13-2, to two, you know? Um, but Ireland win because Ireland just stick to the knitting of doing exactly what they're told and being very difficult to beat. Yeah, and, and it works. And, tough. Yeah. and it works, you know. Um, and the emerging Ireland team with their sort of bend but don't break defending policy and like getting absolutely sa yeah. savaged in the scrums. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, but the difference is, like, South Africa won the World Cup three times, and they're they they're hardly ever they hardly ever talk about that though. You, you, you yeah. forget that. <laughs> Just watch this. Ooh, great passage of play, though. This shows how dangerous they are with the ball in the hands. How good are these Irish? Well, the Irish have come to play, haven't they? Yeah, for sure. 